0: we get started this morning, we're continuing our series, What We Believe, as we dig into the doctrines of the church, I want to encourage us to look at at something from a little bit of a different perspective. Over the last couple of weeks, we dove into some really significant doctrines, right? We talked about the doctrine of sin and how everything went off the rails, and we talked about last week the doctrine of salvation and how, how God came to our rescue, and today we're going to talk about the doctrine of the church. If last two two weeks ago we talked about the doctrine of sin definitively declares that rescue is required. Last week we said that salvation victoriously proclaims that rescue is possible. So today we get to this place where we're gonna talk about the doctrine of the church that declares the good news that the rescued belong to each other. Now, think about this. Hit pause, rewind, go back. To picture yourself as an angel. You're, uh, some of you think you are angels. Um, Awesome. Uh, We are in heaven, You're worshiping God, right? You've seen this whole thing play out over the millennia. You've seen creation. You saw the fall. You were sure that God was just going to wipe it all away, start over. But instead, he initiated this rescue plan, which you didn't really understand how it was going to work. But then one day you saw that God was becoming man and went down to be with the people that betrayed him, that turned their back on him, and he was going to rescue them. And then you saw Jesus live his life on earth. And you're like, that's amazing. You couldn't contain yourself. So like at Christmas time, you guys burst into song, right? You burst into the the, the shepherds. And then you saw Jesus live his life. It was pretty awesome. You saw him die, which was miserable. But then you saw him come back to life, which is amazing. And then Jesus leaves his followers to come back to heaven, right? And you see him come back and you're like, I know how the story's going to end. Like Jesus is coming back to heaven. He's going to get us, his angels. We're going to go back and we're going to finish the story. But imagine your surprise when Jesus comes back to heaven and he sits down. And you're like, well, how are we going to finish the story? And Jesus points and he goes, they're going to finish the story. And you're as an angel going, wait a second. You are entrusting the rest of the story to the people who screwed up the story in the first place. (laughs) That's a really, really bad idea. To which Jesus goes, no, it's not a bad idea. It's the idea. And it's not plan B. The church, the local church, is in fact plan A. So today, as we get to this doctrine of the church and we talk about what God intends for the church and God, how, why God created the church and then the role that isn't just about the church out there, it's about the church in here and the role that we get to play in the church, I hope we leave with a greater appreciation as we're reminded that the church is God's plan A to reach a lost and dying world. And the church is plan A for you and me growing in our Christ-likeness, growing in our relationship with Jesus. You see, the church, if we go back, if we're in this series of doctrine, I think it's crazy to see when we are able to connect all the different doctrines together, right? We talked about the Trinity several weeks ago when we talked about God, we talked about Jesus, we talked about the Holy Spirit. The Trinity shows up in the church. When we remember that the Father created the church the Son leads the church, and the Spirit fills the church. All three playing a role, all three coming together to give us what we have today as the church, which is the hope of the world. So this morning, I want to point us to three passages that point to what the church is and what the church has been called to be. And then I want to give us three char- two characteristics of that must be true if the church is to function and to be what God has created it to be. Three passages and two characteristics. So, we're going to start, you can flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to start there. How many of you guys have played a game called Scrabble? Anybody? Yeah, all you words people. Now, I married an English teacher and was dumb enough to start playing Scrabble with her. And not just Scrabble, when we got married, we were somehow came up with this idea, we were played a game called Speed Scrabble. Now, speed Scrabble meant you took all the pieces, you turned them upside down, all the tiles in the middle of the table, you started with like six or seven. And as you, you were never able to have more than seven, but as you put together words, you could take more tiles. Like we'd get done, I'd be like still with my original seven and Danielle would have had the entire board figured out. But you know that when you play Scrabble, you draw your letters. And some, as you can see, a pile of letters in the middle of the table looks something like this. Some are pretty self-explanatory. There's no mystery. But there, I don't know about you, but there are two letters that always prompt a discussion. You know what those letters are? No, that's for you trying to play the game. You're trying to figure out how to use Q. No, two letters that that prompt discussion because they get confused. You don't know which one they are. They're the letters W and the letters M. Right, because you pick that up and you're like, wait a second, is this this an M? No, flip it over. No, it's a W. Right, and you go back and forth. When a W moves upside down, it becomes an M. When an M is upside down, it becomes a W, which becomes a very big characteristic, very big difference if you're trying to spell a word, right? Because your argument will be, if I want to spell a word with a W, this is a W. If I want to spell a word with an M, I'm going to make it an M. Well, as we talk about the church, I think W and M get flipped upside down all the time. Because we must come before me. And when we talk about the church, what oftentimes happens is God designed the church as a we. It's a we, it's, it's us, it's collective. But oftentimes in the hustle and bustle and the craziness of life and all that's going on in our world, we purposely or accidentally take the W, flip it over and make it an M, which then takes we and turns it into me. Now, for example, there are over 4,800 verses in scripture that use the word you, Now, in the original language, it doesn't delineate. Like, it's hard for us when we translate it, because when we put the word you in place of the Greek or Hebrew word for you, we lose the fact that we don't know if that original word was singular or plural. So let me show you an example. In 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17, we get this. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Now, there's you all over that, right? The question is is that you singular or is it plural? Because how you read it, if it's singular or it's plural, will change how that verse comes to you. And actually, when you read the New Testament, almost always you can assume when you see you, it's plural. And I would challenge you, especially in the Paul's writing, Paul knows nothing, knows nothing about singular Christianity. He only knows Christianity in the context of relationships, in the context of the local church, and he's almost always going to point to the plural. So if we want to southernize this text and make it a little more easy to understand, we would write it like this. Do you not know that y'all are God's temple? and that God's temple dwells in y'all. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and y'all are that temple. Now, I don't know about you, that reads very differently than we did just a second ago, did we not? The first time you're reading it through the lens of me, but Paul writes it through the lens of we. And when we think about the local church, it's really important that we make sure that the W doesn't get flipped upside down to B and M. You see, there's no such thing as Christian individualism. That's an oxymoron. You see, we talk about how Jesus wants a relationship with us. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. But that relationship in scripture is always anchored to the local church. It's always anchored to relationship. When we separate and we think that our relationship with God is simply me and God, we miss out on one of the greatest things that God has given us to grow our relationship with him. And that is the local church. You see, there's a difference between somewhere you go and somewhere you belong. The church is never intended in God's perspective to be a place you go. It was intended to be a place you belong. So my question would be this for you. Do you go to church? or do you belong to church? Do you go or do you belong? This may seem obvious, but we learned something about church in 2020, did we not? We learned a lot of things in 2020 when COVID came, did we? But when it came to church, one of the things we realized is I remember at the beginning when we could not gather together and we were in our homes and we were live streaming, it was this moment of like, wow, God's church won't be stopped. Like technology, like we can still be the church. But over time, we realized, like, man, I don't like singing to my TV. Like, I don't like watching everything on TV. I would rather be here in person. I don't know about you, but when we came back together for the first few times, there was this feeling of singing the same songs, reading from the same book. But what was different? We were together. And what we realized is, man, the church is so much more than content. This church is so much more than knowledge. We can listen to a sermon and we can sing a worship song, but we need each other. It can't just be about me. It's gotta be about we. And the local church cannot be a nice add-on to your relationship with Jesus. It's essential to your walk with Jesus. So if we must come before me, the second point I want us to see today is that we is how they see Flip over a couple chapters in 1 Corinthians 2 chapter 12, and we're gonna look at a passage that once again talks about the role of the local church. I think it's important for us to step back when we recognize that when Jesus came to earth, he said, If you have seen me, you have seen who? The Father. Jesus in the incarnation, when he came in the flesh, he made visible an invisible God. So when we refer to the local church as a body of Christ, what we are saying is the church is still making visible a Jesus that the world can no longer physically see. So think about that as we read these words from Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. It says, For the body does not consist of one member, me, but of many, we. where would the body be? And if, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. When the church functions as a body, it makes Jesus visible. Why? Because the individual parts come together to form something collective, to make visible the invisible. Separate parts are incredible. Paul points to the eye. If you study the eye, you are blown away by how an eye functions and how it works and how, what an incredible creator we have that made the eye, which then you zoom out and go, is just one small part of the whole body. But we don't wanna be just an eye. We wanna be all the individual parts coming together to form the body. And we're gonna talk in a minute about all the different parts and how they function together to be something beautiful. Well, third, I wanna point to the fact that we, Church, the we proclaims the new reality for me. Flip over to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. You see, Peter is going to point to the body. It's not just a body, he's then going to take something and say it's actually a building. The church is being built up to be something incredible. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4, it says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He says, hey, as you come to him, who? Jesus, the living stone. You, in fact, are living stones. You're being built up. You're coming together to be something that's more than just the individual pieces. For what purpose? You're offering spiritual sacrifices. Now, if you last week were here and we talked about the sacrificial system of the Old Testament being satisfied and being ended. Here, Peter's saying, yeah, I grew up doing the sacrificial system. I knew all about that. God is no longer requiring sacrifices but he is asking for a sacrifice. What is a living sacrifice? What is a spiritual sacrifice? It's a living sacrifice. It's you and me offering our lives to him. Now, when a stone is on its own, it's not exactly very significant, right? It has to be joined together. And as I was thinking about this, I thought about, ironically, I I have a pile of bricks in my backyard. Now, Years ago, the house I grew up in, we had a car in the middle of the night, ran into the front of the house and destroyed our front porch. And so when they had to fix the front porch, like out of these bricks and I was a new homeowner, I was like, wow, free bricks. I'm sure I can use those. Ten years later, I have a pile of bricks. I obviously haven't used those. Now, when you look at the pile of bricks in my backyard, you see a pile of bricks. Probably thinking, why would you not get rid of those? And I'd say, that's a very good question. But when I look at those, I see see what they used to be. I see what they were when they were actually not just individual bricks, but joined together, building something of purpose. They were actually the front porch of the house that I grew up in. Now, is this significant? Yeah, you could say it's a brick. It can be used for something. But you know, this brick is of no value, real value, other than a very good paperweight, unless it is connected to other bricks, which is exactly what Peter points to as he continues in chapter two. He's gonna talk about Jesus being the chief cornerstone and everything being built on him and him being rejected, but him being the foundation on which everything else flows from. But he goes on in verse nine, he says, but you, now I think that's singular or Plural, plural. He's not talking about me and he's not talking about you. He's talking about we. He's talking about you all or y'all are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What do individual stones or individual bricks do when they are joined together? They become something so much more than just individuals. They proclaim something greater. And what does Peter say? He goes, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. One of the reasons God's plan A was the church, because he said, when I want my people coming together to form the physical body of christ pointing to an invisible jesus and i want them built up so people don't see individual stories that they can discount or or say that's just a fluke i want them built up and so somebody comes and sees the beauty of this body built together forming this this magnificent structure not for their own glory and their own good but declaring again and again and again it's true god changes lives God saves people. God brings life out of death. He brings hope out of despair. When the individuals come together and are built up as living stones, Peter is pointing to the fact that we proclaim who we used to be and we proclaim what Jesus has done to make us who we are today. Do you notice the words that Peter uses? It's a race, it's a priesthood, it's a nation, it's a people. All of those are collective. None of those are individual. So, we've said we before me. We can't flip the W upside down. It's collective, it's not individual. When we think of the local church, we is how they see an invisible Jesus, and we proclaims the new reality for me. We could together proclaim the fact that this isn't a coincidence, this isn't a fluke, this is God working. So if these three things are true, if these passages of being a body, of being plural, and then of being built up are true, then two characteristics must be true for us as a local church. We must be interconnected and we must be interdependent. This is how God has intended for us to function as a church. You see, God intended and God instructs us to belong to a local body of believers, to be interconnected. It's more than just going. Belonging points to connectedness. What we recognized during COVID was that there was a disconnect. There was a disconnect from people and we come together on a Sunday morning to be reminded that we are not alone. We are in this journey together. We wanna be a place they want this to be a place where we are deeply connected to one another, where relationships are happening because we believe that God does his best work in the context of relationships. If you were with us last night at our town hall time, one of the topics of conversation that came up and some of the questions that were asked was around this idea of programs versus relationships and the tension between the two and, and how do we, what, who are we gonna become and, and who do we wanna be as a, as a church? I wanna clarify that we do not wanna be a church with a long list of programs for the sake of programs. We want everything we do to connect people to each other, which then helps people on their journey and relationship with Jesus. Based on what we've seen in the local church, we take it as a serious responsibility that this cannot be a group of a bunch of individuals. This needs to be a group of collective people who are interconnected together through relationships. So programs have always been a part of who sanctuary's been. Sunday morning for all practical purposes is a program. There's a time, there's a schedule, there are things that are planned. Small groups, DMD groups, youth ministry is a program. Children's ministry is a program. Women's ministry and studies and opportunities are all programmatic in their element. But what's the purpose of those programs? Those purpose, the purpose of those programs is to find relationships and connect people. I would encourage you to think back over your journey. As I think about mine, some of my deepest relationships. I don't necessarily credit any church for providing those relationships. But if I'm honest, I go back there was a time in which I raised my hand and said yes to being in a small group, which is a program. And out of that program and out of that small group, I filmed a relationship that now, 20 years later, is still thriving. We are not going to prescribe every relationship within the church, but we want to be faithful in providing opportunities that allow you to connect. After the first gathering, the number of people that came up said, yes, this happened and this happened. I raised my hand for this. I stepped into this. And the result was these amazing relationships. There are small groups meeting within our church that started 10 years ago because they signed up for a Bible study and now have been doing their own study for the last 10 years. That's awesome. We want that. We want more of that. And as we think about this tension between the programs and relations, we don't want a tension. We want them to work together. And I think the better word is probably structure. We want structure around sanctuary that makes it easy for you to say, yes, I want to be connected. How do I get started? Versus asking you to just go figure it out. One of the pictures that came to mind that has been helpful for me over the years is how this works is this idea of a trellis and a vine. You see, if you look, if you're in California or you're somewhere and you drive by and you see a a vineyard, you're probably going to see something like this. And you look and you see all these vines and you know that these vines are more than likely growing what? Grapes. Now, I'm not a vineyard, never claimed to be a vineyard. Um, I like to drink the fruit of the vine, um, if if you know what I mean. But this is how this works. A vineyard has all of these grapes. But when you get closer, you're going to see something else. You're gonna see the fruit, and one of the things you're gonna notice is the fruit is heavy and the fruit is growing, but the fruit is being supported by what? A trellis. Now, nobody has ever gone to a vineyard and gone home and said, You would not believe how incredible the trellis was. You don't talk about it. It's there to serve a purpose of the greater purpose, which is to produce fruit. Now, if we jump back to Matthew 5 or Matthew John 15, Jesus talks about the life that he desires for his followers to live, and he ties it directly to this. You see Jesus in John 15 verse 5 says, "I am the vine, you, once again, singular or plural, plural, you all are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing." The Christian life starts and ends by being connected to Jesus. Because guess what? We cannot bear fruit on our own. The fruit that comes is not a result of you and me trying harder or doing more, but surrendering more and allowing God to work more through us. Jesus goes on later in this passage in verse eight, he says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. The Father is most glorified by what? By fruit. Where does fruit come from? By abiding in Jesus. The only command we are given is to abide, is to stay connected to Jesus Now, that's gonna look like doing different things as we follow what he's told us to do, but it starts by abiding. Now, go back to the trellis and the vine. If the goal is to bear fruit, we believe that relationships, being interconnected as a faith family, are where God does some of his greatest work and where the greatest fruit is born. Therefore, we as a church wanna be faithful in providing structure, a trellis on which life change can flourish. Now, no life has been changed by a small group. No life change has been happened from a sermon or a song. Every single time that you think it's because of a church or because of a ministry or because of something someone's done, we know that behind that is God actually working. God is working through that church. God is working through that small group. God is working through that sermon. So as a church, we wanna be a church that has structure, that supports and enables people to be in life-changing relationships and allow people to bear fruit. Oh, hopefully not from a long list of programs that you zoom out and see the fruit of life change that God is doing through this church. And you say, I don't even know there's a trellis there, but the reality is the structure we can provide can help facilitate the fruit that God wants to bear through you and me. Does Sanctuary wanna be a church with a long list of programs to become a mega church? Absolutely not. Our greatest desire and our heartbeat is to be faithful with who God calls us to be right now. And that begins by simply being connected to the vine. So if we're to be interconnected, we wanna point some of the ways in which we point to. I think we have a list here of some things that are coming up. You have the bulletin in front of you. You have our app. But we just want to consistently be faithful in putting opportunities in front of you that are going to facilitate the opportunity for you to grow in relationship. We've got men's studies, the new men's study starting on Wednesday night about the heart of God. We've got a, a women's study that's going on on Wednesday night and Wednesday mornings, women's brunch we pointed to on, on uh, Saturday. In a couple weeks on the 29th, we have Fam Jam, which is just a chance for us to do what families do. And that's hang out. Instead of leaving, we're going to hang out, eat together and spend some time together. Why? Because we want to be interconnected. We want this to be a place where people don't just go, but where people can belong. So we want to be interconnected, and we also want to be interdependent. Interdependent. God has given us each a gift. A gift that the local church can function interdependently Where your gift and my gift and his gift and her gift come together to form and accomplish something beautiful. Back to the body that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 12, there's function. The living stones of 1 Peter remind us that when we function as one body, we're built up into something that points beyond us. We have all been gifted in different ways and we need each other if we're to function as the true body of Christ. You know, when we as believers, God entrusts us with gifts. He gives us spiritual gifts. Now, if I gave you a gift, if I gave you a basketball, now, you know what basketball is, you know immediately what that means. But if you didn't know about the game of basketball, I gave you a basketball and I pointed you to a basketball goal. And I said, this is my gift to you. Enjoy. You would dribble, you would shoot, you would play and have a really good time. Right? Some of you would be okay, like Andrew. Andrew. Who I've beaten at basketball a lot um, over the years, but then if I showed up, if I showed up and I said, "Hey, I gave you that basketball, Andrew, because I want you to play on my team," and Andrew's going, "I, what's a team?" Like, I can shoot, and I can do layups, and I can dribble, and I can do all these tricks. And I go, no, 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 I want you to participate on my team. You see, basketball is played with a team of five. And we need unique skill sets and different skill sets to come together to form a team. Because guess what? We're going to play other teams of five. And if it's just you on five, it's not going to go well. In the same way, God has given us gifts. He's given the local church gifts. And he hasn't given us those gifts just so we could go play on our driveway by ourselves. He gave us those gifts so we could come together and we can play on his team. And what he's inviting us to do is in doing so, we become interdependent because I need your gifts and you need my gifts. And coming together, we are something more together than we are separately. The local church, when you are interconnected, and you are interdependent, is a place where you are known and know others, and a place where you have gifts and can use your gifts and receive from the gifts of others. In this season at Sanctuary, we, we've, I've heard people wrestling, right? And people are talking and going, wait, I don't, I'm trying to determine where I need to be. I'm trying to determine if this, is, if this is where I want to be. Can I encourage us just to change the question ever so slightly? God has given you gifts and he's invited you to be a part of his team. And I'm wondering if instead of saying a sanctuary where I want to be, I wonder if we ask the question, is sanctuary where God wants me to be? What if with the gift you've been given, you come before God and go, God, where do you want me to use this? How do you want to use this? You see, we got a lot of needs. There's a lot of places around here to use your gifts. And honestly, I think there's a lot of places around here to use your gifts that you may not even be aware of. Things like brewing coffee, cleaning up a cafe, our facilities team that cleans up after you every week, our parking team. There's a whole lot more than just leading a Bible study or changing diapers in our children's ministry. Why? Because you have different gifts and God's designed all of those to come together. Now, I could put the gifts on the, or the uh, list of needs on the screen, but it didn't fit. So instead, I'm just gonna give you a website. You can go here, and my encouragement will be this. Would you go and just see some of our current needs and go, God, is there one of these places that you want me to plug in and use my gifts to glorify you? Why? Because we wanna be interconnected and we wanna be interdependent. It requires us to engage relationally and in requires us to give of our gifts you've heard the term time talent and treasure those are three ways in which we are interconnected and we operate healthy that way last sunday i gave a challenge at the end of our town hall time and the challenge or invitation was simply this if, as you're wrestling with what God's doing here and where your place may be, would I my invitation and challenge was simply to encourage you, would you stay? Would you stay for, through the end of the year? Would you provide, help provide some stability as we figure out, as we discern where God is leading and what God is doing in light of not just this church, but the church, would you be committed through the next three months? What would it look like for you to say, I'm gonna connect relationally and I'm gonna give of my gifts over the next three months? My guess would be as we engage and we give of our our gifts, what we're gonna find is this place gets smaller and this place gets a little more connected and we see what God is doing, not just outside of us, but through us as we connect and serve together. The greatest way to feel connected here at Sanctuary or any local body is always gonna be through relationships and through serving. You see, if we're gonna be interconnected and interdependent, the purpose is to build up a church that points to Jesus. Not to build up something that's bigger or better, but to build up something that accurately reflects God to those around us. You see, remember, the church, it's not about me, it's about we. And whenever we flip that letter upside down, things go sideways. And I think the enemy knows that. I think the enemy knows that what he has in the local church is God's plan A. And guess what? God's plan A's never get thwarted. It wasn't like he's second guessing, thinking he should have done something different. He wants the church to function as he created it to function, inviting us to be who we were created to be. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, I've referenced before. One of my favorite books of all time where a older demon is mentoring a younger demon about how to tempt and keep this person who wasn't a believer, but became a believer, how to like keep him from becoming who God wants him to be. And in this book, he references the local church. And I think it's crazy. It says, one of our greatest allies at present is the church itself. Now, granted, this is a demon talking to another demon. One of their greatest allies is the church. Think about that. One of our greatest allies at present is the church itself. Do not misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see here spread out through all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy. But fortunately, it is quite invisible to these humans. You see that? They see what I believe the angels see now this absolutely befuddling plan A from God to be the local church, they now see as God's army. They now see as God's greatest weapon against the world to bring them to him. But sometimes in the weeds and in the day-to-day side of church, the, the grandeur of it gets lost. And if I'm honest, A lot of us in this room around here, when you think of the church, one of the first things that comes to mind is hurt. One of the first things that comes to mind is failure. One of the first things that comes to mind is the church, what the church hasn't been for you. For that, I just wanna say sorry. Because, but at the same time, I wanna point to there's a reason God said the church is plan A. He chose from the very beginning to use broken people to point to a holy God. And God knew that the church would hurt people. That God knew the church would get it wrong. Why? Because the church is only made up of human beings. But at the same time, God says, through that brokenness is what I'm going to reveal as holy. Through that brokenness, I'm going to allow you to see me all the more clearly. C.S. Lewis goes on later, he writes this. He says, surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him until he becomes a taster or a connoisseur of churches. The search for a suitable church makes the man a critic or the enemy that being God, wants him to be a pupil. All the enemy can do is take God's best and God's plan A and twist it. Take the W and make it an M. Make the church about me instead of about us and ultimately about God. And he's got us right where he wants us. The reason the doctrine of the church is so important is because it's something that becomes so familiar that we can oftentimes make it what we think we want it to be. Instead of stepping back and go, God, what is your desire for your church? What do you want to do through your church? And what do you want to do through me as a part of your church? How do you want me to be connected? How do you want me to be interdependent on these other people? One of my greatest memories at Sanctuary was years ago, CLC this Men's Bible Study Exploded. And one of the coolest things we had was on a a Friday morning with these guys looking around a room and seeing how interconnected we were because there were guys that were serving as small group leaders for some of the other guys' dads, for some of the other guys' kids. And some of the, they were serving in a kid's classroom with some of his kids and she, his wife and his wife were in a group together and you look around and you go, these gifts are working these relationships are coming together and it's absolutely beautiful. This is what God has intended for his church. So my challenge is simply this and I don't want you at any, in any way to hear me pushing you towards anything. My challenge is for you to step back and go, hey, what is it that God has called me to do to be a part of his local church? What does it look like for me to walk across the room and meet somebody new? What does it look like for me to be willing to step into a Bible study so that I can connect with other people? What does it look like for me to use my gifts to build up the body for the glory of God? What is your prayer for sanctuary? What is your hope for God's church? I've realized that for the last several weeks, my prayer has centered around survival. My prayer has been pretty small. It's felt big, but in the grand scheme of things, in coming before God, I'm asking for the bare minimum. And this week I've been encouraged and I've been challenged as I've heard God saying, I, I'm a God of abundance. I'm a God who exceeds expectations. I'm a God who shows up when it's darkest. I'm a God who comes and rescues when everyone says there's no hope left. Why would you not ask me to do God-sized things instead of settling for you-sized things? So I wanna end with this prayer that's been meaningful to me, encouraging for me, and I trust it will be for you, not just for this church, but for the church as we're reminded of what God wants to do in and through us. Ephesians 3, verse 14 says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. Can we read that, those two verses together? Make that our collective prayer for sanctuary and for the church as a whole. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, that is our prayer. That is our prayer for your church here at Sanctuary. God, we're thankful that that is true and your desire for the church globally around the world. We're thankful that this morning we are part of something so much bigger. God, there are believers gathering all across the globe, opening your word, singing praises to your name. Some under the fear of imprisonment or even death. But God, we're thankful that your plan A was the church. The hope of the gospel is being extended to a lost and dying world through the church. So God, would you find this church faithful? God, will we be connected to each other? God, will we be interdependent on each other so that, God, we can come together and be a body that functions It makes visible and invisible, Jesus, a body that's built up to proclaim the excellencies of our good God. God, we're thankful for who you are. We're thankful that you are here. And we're thankful that you're at work in your church. In Jesus' name we pray.